Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week we are continuing with our watch through of The Magicians, and we'll be discussing episode 11, Remedial Battle Magic. Chris, can you give us a recap of what happens? Quentin, Alice, Penny, Elliot, and Margot use probability magic to determine their best chance to kill the beast and survive. And it turns out that the only option that doesn't end in all of them dead is for them to travel to Fillory to kill the beast. The beast enters Penny's mind, and we find that he is threatening and harassing all travelers, leading some of them to kill themselves, including Penny's mentor, Stanley. The group decides to learn battle magic to prepare for the confrontation, but quickly realize they need help to pull off even basic spells. Penny tries going it alone, especially after the group decides to go to Katie for help. They meet her at Julie's apartment, where the free traders are trying to find magical beings that can help them find a god to petition for magical energy. Katie tells the Breakbills group that battle magic took her years to master, but there is a risky option available to them, literally bottling up their emotions. Meanwhile, Penny uses drugs to try blocking out the beast's voice, leading to an overdose. Waking up back in the medical clinic, Professor Sunderland helps him shut the voices out advises him to take help when it is offered to him, so Penny rejoins Quentin, Elliot, Margot, and Alice. Though removing their emotions helps them access powerful magic, the flood of emotions afterwards overwhelms them all, so Alice and Penny decide to try again with their emotions intact. In the meantime, Julia and Katie meet a vampire and a lamia, and while their information leads to dead ends, Julia prays to a goddess figure whose image calls to her, and then receives a dream with miracles and directions to find her. After the second night of training, Quentin, Margot, and Elliot choose to drink heavily in response to their heightened emotions, and Q wakes up the next morning with memory flashes of the three of them sleeping together, and a distraught Alice, who has seen the evidence of his infidelity. <sighs> oh, dear. <laughs> oh, all of them. There are some choices in this episode. There are some choices. Obviously, completely reasonable, natural for Alice to feel betrayed, because mm -hmm. she is, but like... Why are you just sitting there waiting for one of them to wake up? That doesn't seem like a healthy choice. No, it really doesn't. Either wake Quentin up or, like, wait until he wakes up and finds you. See if he'll actually tell you about it. And if not, let's discuss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But just waiting there for who knows how long. What if Margot woke up first? Exactly. <laughs> Anyways, why don't we go into our magic moments? What are yours? Well, for one, I thought in the alternate future, or the probable future, the beast's dance and whistling mm -hmm. is really interesting. It made me think about, not only was it scary and sadistic in the kind of glee that he's bringing to this slaughter, but it also made me think about how the spell works, whether this is something that could have actually happened or whether it's based off of what they know about the beast because mm -hmm. they've had that one experience with him. Like either way, I think it's just a really interesting character point of, yeah, showing the uniquely joyful old British guy kind mm -hmm. of style the beast brings as a villain. Yeah, totally. Because I think in the first episode you had him doing his little shuffle step mm -hmm. but like he wasn't humming at the time mm -mm. Uh, but yeah now now we have that added yeah and then just as usual there's some amazing lines in this episode mm -hmm. both well written and very well performed 
when they come out of the probability spell, Elliot tells Margot, you know, you're Margot, you're fabulous. And she just says, I am fabulous, aren't I? (laughs) Very, very good. When they're discussing doing illegal battle magic and Elliot's like, I'm in too. I heard the word illegal. It's just, yeah, very, very good. Again, great deliveries. And then one of the best moments, I think, in the show thus far is when they first lose their emotions and then Penny compliments Quentin's sweater (laughs) and notes how there was nothing that would make him not share that compliment. Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was nice. And there's nothing to stop me from saying that because it's just his emotions that stop him from complimenting Quentin. Exactly. So amazing. Very, very good. (laughs) The best. Yes. Penny with that bottled emotion spell is, yeah. I mean, all of them. I mean, it's all good, but like his is such a difference in such a humorous way, Mm -hmm. you know, It's, it's just so good. It's delightful when they're about to get their emotions back and he just says, agreed, emotions are bullshit. It's yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah, because I think Margo's like, oh, it's a pity we have to put them back. Mm-hmm. He's just yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, just uh, delightful. <laughs> a very, of even with his emotions bottle, that's just a penny attitude. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So good. What about you? What are your magic moments? Yeah, I mean, another one... I I feel like it should just be like penny magic Mm -hmm. moments, but it's just when he comes in after he's overdosed and Alice is like, you look, and he interrupts saying, damn handsome for someone who just had a heart attack. It's like, exactly. Yep. yep. (laughs) We're all thinking it, Penny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so good. But I also like really liked the conversation they had at the very beginning of the episode about what they should do and if they Mm -hmm. should try to make a deal with the beast and give the button back and hope that that will make him just not want to come kill any of them because he'll have this thing that he wants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, just this savvy kind of Slytherin way of thinking about the problem and is, is this the best course of action? And Penny's like, no, absolutely not. But Margo's like, you can hide anywhere in the universe the rest of us don't have that luxury and yeah i like that it shows i mean as the episode goes on we can see that it's actually more difficult for him because of his psychic abilities Mm. with the beast but at that point they didn't really know that Mm -hmm. right and so he does have options that others don't have Mm -hmm. yeah i just i like that that's brought up and that's being factored into some of the different reasons why they're thinking one way or the other and that it's not just that they like vote on it and decide on this plan of action but then they use this smart probability spell Mm -hmm. to to actually give them more information than just them talking about it a little and making a decision. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not just going to go execute that plan before thinking it through further where they can with the magic resources that they have available to them. Mm. So, yeah, I just, I liked that. Again, showing that these are actually smart people <laughs> that are, they're not only stumbling into these <laughs> situations, but now that they're in these situations how they're dealing with it is a little more 
thoughtful mm-hmm. <laughs> and sensible than I think we often see in shows and stories. Yeah, absolutely. I also just thought it was really amusing that the beast can force choke. <laughs> you know, like that that's what he's doing mm-hmm. you know kind of pull his fingers together and quentin choking in the other room mm. i'm surprised that it, with his dying breath quentin didn't try to say something about star wars so or not right. not his dying breath but like once he woke up he found my fa- lack of faith disturbing yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> but why don't we move into our next section which is setting and society what were you noticing yeah, so the, the bit that I think is most interesting is how we're being introduced into the magical creatures living within New York who kind of make up this underground community and how they largely seem to be trying to fit in with humanity. The Lamy, at least, seems to have a form outside of the shapes that it can take, like it takes the form of Katie's mom. I don't know how much that is choice. But both the Lamia and the the vampire would look human if you pass them on the street and you're not, you know, looking for their magical capabilities. And so I think it's this interesting kind of urban magic dynamic that we don't see a lot of in this series or we haven't seen a lot of yet where so much of it happens at break bills. Uh, And the urban elements, I think, have come in with, for example, the, the hedge witch communities in the first couple episodes. But after that, you know, we've spent a lot more time in Julia's suburban apartment than we have in kind of urban areas. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just I find that particularly compelling and interesting, particularly because those creatures are treated as an underclass. Yeah. Even the free traders call them bloodsuckers and talk about how they kind of live these lives that they are skimming off of society or they're parasitic in some way and talk down about them as if they are not people, but also talk about how they often want some someone to talk to and they discuss relationships that they have and all these things that make a person a person. And we don't know if they also kill people or they also prey on people in ways that are unethical and immoral versus preying on people in ways that are ethical <laughs> yeah. and killing people <laughs> yeah preying on people which makes which would make them immoral and unethical but i'm just saying from what we see it reminds me like we were talking about the marauders last episode of how people who are in desperate situations often have to rely on informal ways of getting by and they seem to be in that kind of situation Absolutely. It, I think it really shows in a very short span of time how these magical creatures who are ancient, you know, way, mm-hmm. way older than any of the humans surrounding them and certainly than the modernity that they find themselves in now. Mm-hmm. And it just shows how they've had to adapt, but like they can only adapt so much to be able to, yeah, function in a society that was not made for them they are still there because they live forever or or whatnot but those who do know about them it's often in this kind of lore legend sort of stuff and then those who actually know about them and believe that they're real not just stories yeah when when we see katie and julia interact with the vampire he's like 
I'm a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it shows clearly that he's at least felt very much like he has not been treated as a person uh, in this world. Yeah. It's interesting. But then you would think that there's some some aspects that would actually make it easier to be a vampire. Like shelter. <laughs> yeah. Window shades. <laughs> <laughs> Things that, you know, thousands of years ago would not be possible in the same way. Absolutely. But the other thing I was wondering about is what's happening to Penny's education as he's on these, like, week-long jaunts. He left for six <laughs> Week, weeks. Week-long stranding. Exactly. <laughs> <more> like... <laughs> it's just all of them probably are having their education suffer. But Penny in particular mm-hmm. is just in and out of the hospital wing every other week. Like... I just I can't imagine how he is uh, <laughs> no. is doing much. But at the same time, he's got such a specialized education as a traveler. Yeah. But it's just, uh, yeah, poor, poor Penny. <laughs> I yeah, I was actually even thinking about that a little bit as I was editing our episode from last week about like Penny wanting to be cool or not, like, mm. not come across uncool or whatnot. And if in his intersectional social context like being cool was important to him because I I was thinking like he must have had such disrupted education as a kid Mm -hmm. if he constantly was hearing all of the voices around him from all of the kids around him in classes like how you there's no way anyone could concentrate with that like he must have like even being that stereotyped Asian nerd was not available to him. Uh, so, yeah, maybe being cool was important because there's no way he could excel at academics. Mm-hmm. Even though we know he's super smart in this Break Bills context, at a, in a very short time, he's grown so much. Mm-hmm. And, like, he knows way more than Quentin does about magic. He knows what the time slip is and et cetera. And then, like you were saying, just seeing how disrupted his education still is, even at Breakfills, is just really heartbreaking because he's finally in a place where he can concentrate, he can learn, he has access to these resources, and then people are trying to kill him. He has voices in his head, so he has extra trauma, and like, yeah, is in and out of the hospital, which is just, it's really sad. It is. It's really frustrating. Yeah. In our, our last Patreon retreat... One of our our wonderful listeners and designer (laughs) of our logo came up with a hashtag unlucky penny, which is just perfect for him and his life. He's our lucky penny, but for his own (laughs) life, he's the unluckiest penny. Yeah, yeah. Aw, penny. But anyways, I'm sure we'll talk more about penny. Yes. Uh, So what aspects of setting in society did you want to discuss? Yeah, so I also wanted to talk about, we were talking about the magical creatures, but I want to talk about these gods, Mm. these ancient gods, and how that's bringing things in from our world and our own world's history, and then combining it with the magical aspect of like, no, these gods were real, you know, and obviously people throughout history have worshipped all sorts of gods as real Mm -hmm. and continue to do so to this day, and so... Bringing in those things, I think it's really interesting. Obviously, I think that they should have been a little more diverse in the the gods. Like, think about Hinduism and how many gods are involved in that religion. Mm -hmm. Like, there should have been some Hindu gods around 
on that board at least. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just I think it's really interesting because these magical creatures who used to have direct contact with these gods very much seem like that's a past thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Lamia says, this god that you're trying to find, she's dead. They're all dead. You can call all you want, but, you know, basically they're not going to answer you. And so her faith in these gods existing and these gods caring anything about her existence uh, is completely gone. And you have the vampire being like, People don't petition gods anymore. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Like, God, don't you know that God's inside you now? <laughs> like, in the, it's it's hilarious because this idea of like, oh, ask Jesus into your heart. And it, it, it can just be very, like, trite, mm-hmm. not have the depth of theology behind it. Like, those sorts of ideas. Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's just really interesting because... The free traders all seem to be in this secular post-god sort of place that are now coming back to these things and finding meaning and hope in that these gods do exist and that if they ask and they have these good intentions gods or one of them or multiple of them will answer them Mm -hmm. if they can just contact in the right way. And so, yeah, I, th- I just think it's interesting because for them, and especially Julie in the books was very like, what are you talking about, gods? Like, <laughs> I'm an atheist and science and blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, it was very hard for her to come around to this idea. But I think it really discounts all of the people in this world that still do worship gods mm-hmm. and still do believe in gods or a god uh, if they're monotheistic. And so, yeah, I don't know. It, it was just like a really interesting kind of interaction with it. Because for me, growing up Christian and, and still calling myself that with a bunch of asterisks and being interested in and respecting many other religious traditions that like go back hundreds or thousands of years, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it feels kind of like... I'm yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what I think about the the engagement with it. I th- I think it's a really interesting idea that like Richard is saying we don't know why some people are god touched. Maybe it's karma, maybe it's DNA, maybe it's the luck of the draw. Like we really have no idea. But for some reason Julia is having some experiences with this that the others of us when we try, we don't have, you know? Mm. And so I think it's like leaving the world as is constructed in in the magicians, like open to the idea that maybe there are other people in the world who are interacting with different deities and they just don't know about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're coming from an incredibly secular place where they don't believe in it. And now they're starting to, you know. So yeah, I just I just think it's a really interesting kind of journey for these characters and Julia in particular when she had, she, you know, she bought this little symbolic representation of this god and is just in the bathroom, closed the door, and prays to her. Mm. And just this, like, very open prayer of, I'm here, I'm listening, I want to do good. Which I really loved because 
Yeah, it's just very open. It's not assuming. It's not like, I want you to do this. Can you yeah. do this for me? Can you, you know, it's it's just like, I'm humbling myself and saying, like, I don't know. A <laughs> part of me feels silly doing this, but I want to do good. And if, if you exist and if that's something you would want me to do and then you can help me along that way, I'm here for that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I, I just thought it was really interesting. Absolutely. Another really small thing <laughs> that I appreciate is the discussion of weapons. They're like, well, why can't we can just mm-hmm. bring guns? And then the comments about, like, Fillory is a pre-industrial society. You can't just, like, introduce guns to them. You know, what would it do? But then Margo is being Bracknell is like, well, then how are you with a broadsword? Mm-hmm. Like, what, you expect to just suddenly gain skills you don't have? Uh, but I, I do want to know that in the books, it was Elliot that was the person who was saying, like, no, we can't bring guns. We don't want to have some big impact on their society coming in as outsiders that's not right to do uh, versus Quentin in the books was very much just more like let's go on an adventure and Mm -hmm. we don't care if it's gonna harm the society that we're going to uh and Elliot was uh, much wiser so Mm -hmm. I'm a little like why did you take that away from Elliot (laughs) because that's part of his character but you know he's dealing with different stuff than book Elliot was dealing with at the same time yeah yeah Oh, that's so true. And now the framing of Fillory as a pre-industrial society, mm-hmm. which is so teleological. It, this, this. Do you want to say what that is? Yes, Chris? it's uh, this idea of because <laughs> I think a lot of our listeners just decided that maybe they want to go away. <laughs> <laughs> it's this way of like looking at at history as always just a line to the present, and mm-hmm. oftentimes teleological history is a way of coming up with excuses for the present Mm -hmm. in ways that are really damaging and awful and ahistorical because the idea of societies being pre-industrial or industrial is a way of thinking industry as a kind of progress for society Mm -hmm. and that anyone who has not experienced industry the way that in particular, Western society in our world has, is then pre-industrial. They're no, <laughs> yeah. not as far progressed in certain ways. And Sure, do they have trees? And would they have lack of forest fires mm-hmm. and climate change and decreasing biodiversity? Yeah, right. But they haven't made it to where we have. Yeah, exactly. They haven't destroyed their planet yet. <laughs> well, and that... In particular for Fillory, a really great example for this because Fillory does have magic. They have these blades that have curses on it. They have magical weapons there. They don't need industrialization to have power and things like that. So they are not pre-industrial. They are magical. They are on a different track. Mm -hmm. And bringing a, a gun in when you think about it is... Just bring in a powerful artifact into a place that has plenty of powerful artifacts just from a different perspective. So, yeah, you bring that up just made my mind completely go like, yeah, what do you mean? But apologies for that digression. History rant. (laughs) Something that does happen on our podcast. Yes. The last setting in society point I want to talk about is just the Japanese spells that mm. they're doing in this episode. 
So they have Majiku Misairu, which is pretty classic because even if a spell is a Japanese spell, it's a definite possibility that they would name it an English name and have, you know, it written in katakana. True, but that would be if it's a modern spell. These books look really old. Yeah, it would definitely have to be a, a modern spell. But I'm not entirely sure how I feel about the second Japanese spell, though, the Bottling the Emotions one. I think the Bottling the Emotions is a great idea for a spell. Mm -hmm. And I think culturally there are elements of keeping emotions in or not showing weakness or doing those types of things in private. But I think for me, a part that I question is that this is a cheat. Mm. Hard work is such an integral cultural value in Japan. So would they create a cheat for this? Throughout Japanese history, you have Buddhist monks or ninja, samurai, like all of these different people. It's like you train rather than like you just find another way to do it. I mean, this is a country where kids in school clean their own classrooms, you know, Mm -hmm. and in situations where Americans might say something like, good luck. In Japanese, you would say something more like, gambatte, which is, please do your best. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, is this spell doing their best? (laughs) (laughs) I just, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's the, the lack of the hard work that is... A little bit dissonant, I think, for me. Mm, yeah. Though, you know, maybe this is a spell for Gaijin, for, <laughs> for the foreigners who haven't practiced. Well, or maybe this wasn't even used for battle magic. Maybe I mean, they just wanted other people to be able to handle their emotions. It's entirely possible. <laughs> not make scenes, not cause a lot of problems. <laughs> so, they, they, yeah, they made it up for when they had to deal with western wizards Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) i really wish that i could understand what they were actually chanting like what the incantation was in a previous watch i had literally just played it several times but i just wasn't able to determine what they were saying to try to like put it through google translate and see but yeah i would really like to know what that is to kind of like see what they're saying about the idea from obviously for me a japanese american perspective which is gonna still be different than like a japanese perspective Mm -hmm. yeah but why don't we move on to themes and schemes i think the the main one for me is this idea of giving up your emotions Mm. to be able to fight to be able to do this kind of magic i think i could see it kind of thematically going in a couple different directions you know i would love have it be something like, well, if you're going to do violence against others, you need to shut down the part of you that can be empathetic towards them. Mm -hmm. Um, Because doing violence is inherently dehumanizing to the other being. Mm -hmm. And so you need to shut that down. That doesn't seem to be the way they're taking it, unfortunately. Though I think that there is still some things that could really interestingly be explored there. Mm -hmm. But I think another direction is about how these are dangerous spells. It's almost this, like, defense mechanism about using something that is so dangerous when you are not entirely in control of yourself, Mm -hmm. when you might be out of control in other ways. 
or heavily impacted by emotions or just unsure of yourself. I think that that is an interesting dynamic at play that doing violence, doing battle magic requires a real sense of control over yourself. And you see them using meditation practices and other kinds of, of ways of being aware of your emotional state, your physical state, and, and things like that. And yeah, I just, I think that that is a fascinating hurdle for them to face for this. If narratively they want to make it so that you cannot just do battle magic without giving something up, for them to give up that in particular, I just find narratively fascinating. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. I, I do wish that, like you were saying, they'd gone into a little bit of the... It's really hard to do violence to people when you understand something about them mm-hmm. or you try to empathize with them, or that would be the hope at least. <laughs> and that could really, I think, tie into the idea of the cost of magic mm. that, like Fogg was saying, the magician is the marble and the chisel, you know? But yeah, they didn't really go into that. But um, at the same time, I, I think that in this episode a lot of things were showing how people are erratic when they're upset mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't do everything well or <laughs> they're not always healthy. They aren't always going to be consistent and that w- will turn up magically as well. Mm-hmm. For Katie, she's able to do it whenever because... She's practiced for so long meditating and being able to, I guess, tune out or maybe not tune out isn't the right word, but like focus on the one thing that she's doing and not like have the background noise affecting her. Yeah. But for people who haven't practiced that and aren't able to be as mindful about what they're doing when it's emotional, maybe they'll be able to do some big burst of whatnot, but... It might not be the thing that they're trying to do. It might not be aimed right. It might not, it might backfire on them. It might, you know, like we don't know. Maybe something could explode in their face. Maybe nothing will happen at all. And so, yeah, I think, especially those bottling their emotions, Elliot, obviously, Margot, as, you know, she's probably still dealing with the anger and the hurt and the violation from what her ex-boyfriend did to her Mm -hmm. and is like super worried about Elliot and then Quentin with his just always depression. It's too hard for them to not have that impact them, you Mm -hmm. know, not, not have that come into even what they're trying to do magically. So I think, I mean, really the most impressive person here as they're, as they're practicing this battle magic is Penny. Mm -hmm. The fact that he is able to, do this despite what's happening to him like alice okay but she's not really having anything really big or emotional happen to her right now Uh, maybe she will in the next episode (laughs) but not currently you know i mean obviously they're worried about the beast blah 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 but like not in the same way but penny being able to do that and like focus and be able to do some battle magic despite everything that's happening to him. Like, he literally said that the patch on the back of his neck is causing searing pain. Mm -hmm. 
yet he's able to. It's just, yeah, so impressive and really awesome. Uh, and may maybe has something to do with his psychic abilities that as he's been learning and training to just tune in or tune out things, uh, maybe that has, yeah, given him some strength here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I think seeing... Quentin, in particular, affected by the regaining of emotions, the flood of emotions that come back. Quentin is just like, well, I hate everything. Yeah. I hate the air. air. Yeah. Um, Couldn't sleep. And, yeah. Yeah. It, it uh, shows the literal danger that mm -hmm. this brings to him and his life. And, well, and that's what Alice says, yeah. right? Like, this is not a good idea for someone with clinical depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he doesn't even want to hear that, which I, th I think is, you know, we're probably going to talk about this a lot next episode, but <laughs> one of the reasons why Quentin made awful choices in this episode that led to him sleeping with people that can't just be blamed off of his emotional or mental state, you know, mm -hmm. that these are choices that he made while he was in difficult states, but they were still choices that he made when he had other options available to him. Totally. At the same time, I mean, not, not in his relational choices, but I do get that for him, why he's kind of annoyed. It's like, I'm not as magically gifted as you are, Alice. Mm -hmm. I am not just going to be able to get this. Me being able to master these spells while bottling my emotions is already difficult enough for me. Like, I'm not going to be able to do it without bottling the emotions. So the options are bottling my emotions and being able to do these spells or not. And, and probably dying. Yeah, ill-equipped for what we're trying to do. Yeah. So it's like I get the frustration when, no, I don't have the same talent you do at this. And so, you know, <laughs> like, like then he said when the other episodes, don't talk to me like I'm you. Mm -hmm. Or like Margot said at the, at the very beginning of the series... Life is inherently unfair and act accordingly. Mm -hmm. And I think that here, at least with bottling his emotions, that's what Quentin's trying to do. He knows that he's not magically talented enough to be able to do it without this. Or at least not in a reliable way. He, mm -hmm. did, he did the battle magic one time at Penny, right? But like in a burst of anger and rage. Yeah. But um, yeah, after seeing yourself seven times be killed as you're trying to fight the beast. Yeah, I can get why it would be just frustrating for someone to be like, oh, we should try it without this, you know. Of course, Who yeah. things seem to be easier for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, we, we were kind of talking about this after the episode, but I just find this episode so fascinating because most of the plot happens in the first half, the first two-thirds. And then this whole time that they're doing this training and doing this activity of bottling up their emotions and then practicing without them and then regaining those emotions is just so much character development. We get to find out so much more about the characters themselves, how they interact with one another, you know, what happens to them when they are without emotions, what happens to them when they get those emotions back or when they have to process what it was like to be without emotions. Like, I think all of that is just really, really fascinating work. And, you know, we don't get a ton of narrative movement outside of that character work, which I really appreciate the ability for a show to take that time to highlight those elements of, of these characters and how they interact. 
Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's a great episode and such an important one for all of their characters and their relationships with each other that is is starting to show why this series is so great mm-hmm. and how it can really build upon what it's doing because it doesn't just kind of forget the emotional part of what the characters are going through and like how that is involved in their character development. Absolutely. Yeah. What about you? What did you have to talk about? The main theme that I was kind of thinking about is when Quentin is talking with Katie and both of them are at first kind of like awkwardly skirting around what they know the other person's thinking about. Mm -hmm. Katie automatically, when she sees them at the door, looks around to see if Penny is there and he's not. And then Quentin is at Julia's door and they haven't actually talked or seen each other face to face since everything that's gone down between them and they care. You know, yeah. they they care about these other people that have been a really important part of their life, even though they're like not a part of their life currently. And Quentin starts to leave, but then he comes back in. He's like, no, like yeah. giving a shit about someone you give a shit about doesn't magically evaporate when they fuck up. That I still care about Julia, even if she did this really, really horrible thing to me that maybe illogically could be thought about as unforgivable Mm -hmm. but they've had a relationship and an impact on each other's lives in such crucial ways that everything in the relationship can't just be boiled down to this one point Mm -hmm. and so yeah i I like it because (laughs) the the idea because i think it's also really good for the show in general because characters make bad choices and in this show (laughs) yes and i still think that they do generally a really good job at balancing those bad choices those selfish things with no we still care about this character just because they do this or make this choice doesn't make us completely turn our backs on them because they give the audience so much more than just a plot point, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I like it. And I think as we continue on in the series, there's a lot that characters have to deal with and forgive each other for and try to heal from and work through. And so, yeah, I think it's it's a good way to kind of set that up, especially with characters who, from the beginning of the show... It started with their relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I loved this scene. I think that it is the kind of scene that I always want to see in stories, especially stories with such an expansive cast where so many characters are doing so many different things. And sometimes you just want them to kind of take a beat and check in with one another and to share what's happening. Uh, Even as I was watching this, I was like, Quentin, tell her more about Penny. There's more going on with him than you're making it out to be, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? But yeah, just the fact that that they stopped to have this conversation, I think, is a really important way of showing that, yeah, that they still care exactly as you were saying. Yeah. But why don't we delve deeper into the POV of certain characters? So from another point of view, who are you thinking about? I'm thinking about Penny. (laughs) 
<laughs> Always Penny. Always Penny. I know. <laughs> After we finished the episode, you know, we took little notes, and then he's like, who are you talking about? I was like, well, there's like four people I'm thinking of, but you're probably going to be talking about Penny. So Basically. I don't have to worry about that one because so much is going on with Penny. I came into the episode being like, okay, let's try not to choose Penny again. <laughs> but then... It's impossible. It's impossible. And and honestly, I think one of the best performances I've seen in the show so far, and, and in many shows, is the moment when Penny just left the group and he's walking across campus and then the beast enters his mind. Mm-hmm. And Penny has one line in the entire conversation where he tells the guy to F off, basically. And the rest of it is just him reacting to the beast in his head. He does such an amazing job of showing the fear, showing the hurt that this Mm. is someone who clearly, this is a voice that's meant a lot to him throughout most of his life. I know. And now is a threat to his life. And, you know, Arjun Gupta is doing this without anyone else there on set. Like, he's not acting against another actor. It's all interior monologue, essentially. There probably was someone on set saying the line, but but they're not the actor. Yeah. And even if it was, you know, he has to pretend that this is all happening in his head. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's so much that he's doing and he does it so well. And it was just a moment that floored me Mm -hmm. in the performance and in the emotion on Penny's face, because Penny is often very grumpy and (laughs) to see him having that vulnerability and overcome by it in many ways was just, yeah, it, it was heartbreaking and powerful. After that, I was just like, couldn't stop watching <laughs> Penny and thinking about well, what he's going through. Penny is the POV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> should it just be, should this section just change to from Penny's point of view? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that moment is just so heartbreaking because for someone like Penny of all people who does not want to show vulnerability to anyone doesn't want to even be close to anyone because that's difficult for him Mm -hmm. and this person who growing up when everyone around him thought he was delusional or if he talked about the voices, right? Kids can be so cruel to each other. Like, I'm sure he had just a horrific time growing up. And this voice was there. Yeah. It was the only constant voice that he had as he was shuffled around with foster care. And this voice was there to support him in a way that no one else was to tell him that you are not making this up this Mm -hmm. isn't a problem you have this is a gift you have and i'll help you and then you find out this person came through and almost kill did kill your teacher almost killed the dean and probably might have killed you yeah clearly wants to now you've just lived through eight times where he's killed mm -hmm. you seven of those times yeah then with the writing room episode, he finds out yeah. what Clover was doing to Martin. And as we were talking about then, probably feeling so violated and 
changing yet again your entire picture of your childhood and your relationship with this person. Like, if it was only the murder, that would be bad enough and terrible. But, like, when you have the murder and this aspect where you don't know if this person was grooming you, you don't know if this person was watching you, you don't, you know, you don't... No. And... and in a way, they already were grooming you because they're the one who made you do the spell to summon them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when he has been quiet this entire time for multiple semesters, you know, suddenly comes back into Penny's mind with, hi, old friend. Yeah. It's been a while. The type of thing that you could say to a friend and says do say you missed me a little. Like, it's such a creepy way that maybe before wouldn't have felt creepy. Maybe Mm -hmm. it would have felt teasing. Maybe it would have, you know, felt funny or whatnot. And I think it's probably tapping into a really sad truth that Penny doesn't even want to face, that maybe he does miss the beast in a way, because if this person was always there... And his maybe... only friend, as he described him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And knows so much of his history, and he doesn't have to explain everything. And, you know, in times where after the breakup with Katie and these really sad things and really traumatic things that have also happened to his body with almost dying, and, you know, maybe he has had some impulses that he wishes that he could talk to the Beast. Like, if, if the Beast maybe was his go-to person... And just poking that truth that he probably in certain ways does miss the beast a little. Mm -hmm. And he hates himself for that. Yeah. And just the way he delivers that fuck you is so defeated already. Mm -hmm. It's already so hurt. It's not Penny's rebellious, aggressive way that he's talked to Quentin especially, but other people, when he hears the Beast's voice, he automatically goes to the F-bomb, but, (laughs) you know, his delivery of that even is so telling. Yeah, it doesn't have hatred behind it. It's like, he knows that he doesn't have power in the situation. And yeah, and then it's like, now he has to feel violated by this person that is just entering his mind whenever he wants. Yeah. And then proceeds to torture him. Yeah, exactly. And he can't do anything, even though he has great mental wards and he's been working on these things. It's just like, there's nothing he can do except drug himself to the point where he overdoses. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he does turn to wherever he can. He goes to Stanley Mm -hmm. and then sees him shoot himself. I know. Oh my God, Stanley, what are you doing? Right. Tell them what you're going to do if that's your answer. But like, don't kill yourself in front of them. This is his mentor. He's supposed to have at least more answers. Exactly. Oh my God. Yeah, just, Ugh, you know, Stanley. So awful. Also, I think, I mean, of course he is, but he's being tortured not only through the noises, but through the torture of someone else Mm -hmm. that this woman is being tortured and will be killed because of him. And it's just so hard for him to live with that. So I find it 
really, really interesting how he then decides not to give up his emotions again, how he also wants to go straight. I can imagine part of that is a scare of recently having overdosed, but I think part of it also is that he already has so much vulnerability to the beast that the rush of emotions that he gets, we see it put all of them in such a vulnerable state mm-hmm. that he's not willing to do that, which I can absolutely understand. Yeah, we just, we get so much from him in this episode, you know, not to mention when he sees Katie and mm-hmm. the way that he reacts and mm-hmm. what must be on his mind when he knows that they're now bringing Katie into this, which might put her in danger, you know, like all of these other kinds of difficulties that are facing him when he's just struggling to survive. It, it's so powerful. You know, if you if you didn't love Penny coming into this episode <laughs> and you don't love him afterwards, you could just stop listening. You yeah. don't want you listening. <laughs> To this podcast. Your ears don't get to hear no, us talk no. about Penny. Because <laughs> uh, he just, like, I think the character is so powerful to watch, and Arjun Gupta's performance is just superb. It's, uh, it's yeah, just a, a treat to watch. And I think you're absolutely right. This is a place where what is special about this show really shines through. Mm-hmm. And I love just the detail of when he wakes up after his overdose, mm-hmm. he's like curled in on himself in almost a fetal position, which we've never seen Penny in, yeah. even when he's been in the hospital before. Yeah, he does feel so vulnerable in that scene and like so defeated. Yeah, I just, I, that was beautiful positioning and so, I don't know, I like, <laughs> I, I understand the power dynamic issues with relationships with professors and students and stuff like that. So not to blow past that without acknowledging that these things can definitely be problematic. But there's a little there's a little part of me that kind of ships him in Sunderland. (laughs) (laughs) Because like here she's the only one who's able to get through to him and Mm -hmm. she's the only one who's actually helping like i think alice cares and like was trying to but Sunderland knows how to talk to him so that it gets through to him yeah after he went to somebody else that he was supposed to be able to rely on who was older and you know had some amount of expertise that he didn't and then that person just killed themselves in front of him basically saying like this is your only answer mm-hmm. is to kill yourself then Sunderland is maybe risking her job by giving him this neck patch that's not approved. She is going above and beyond to try to help this person. And yeah, it's like when somebody cares enough about you to lend you a hand, you just need to drop the bullshit and try to take it. And and that's what he does, which I think is, yeah, it's a great moment to show that Penny is not just obstinate and he won't listen to anyone. Like, he has been trying to seek out help and answers. And, yeah, it's great that Sunderland is there to help him with that. Yeah, absolutely. Which, I mean, obviously it's better as a platonic, you know, helping someone as a professor. But, like, I'm just saying maybe I would read a fanfic. (laughs) 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 I usually don't read straight fanfics, but... (laughs) 
It's a hard slash name. Pearlney? Pearlney. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the one. Penderland is definitely better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, we digress. <laughs> <laughs> well, then why don't you give us your POV character if it wasn't Penny, apparently? <laughs> <laughs> but you'll be happy to know I have two of my own. Oh, of course you do. <laughs> okay, so I kind of want to talk about both Margot and Elliot because I think that there's really interesting stuff going on here and I was like really feeling for both of them. Mm-hmm. I already, you know... Really, I liked Elliot. I felt for him. But I think my first watch through, this was the episode that I really fell in love with his character. Like, he became my character Mm -hmm. in the show because after the first time they bottled their emotions and then they drank it in and they're just flooded with everything that they've stopped for the past three hours, Elliot really doesn't act differently than mm-hmm. we've seen him act before. Yeah. Like, all of the others are acting differently. Penny's, like, laughing. Alice is being, like, super overboard, clingy, lovey sort of drunk person. Mm-hmm. And Margot is crying, expressing her emotions in a way that she maybe she would express some of the same things, but she wouldn't be crying while doing it, and she yeah. wouldn't be, like, that kind of vulnerable. And Quentin is, like, all over the place, you know, and so it's, like, affecting everyone else in ways that is showing how different this is than, like, they're kind of normal. But this isn't different than Elliot's normal. Mm -hmm. Like, he is trying to push down the onslaught of terrible emotions, pain that he has been living with every day since everything that happened with Mike. You know, we've seen him coping in the same way. We've seen some of these expressions on his face. And it was just that moment of being like, he lives and walks around with all of this. This is what he's masking all the time. And it's just so sad. And I just, like, love it because I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm kind of that way in some ways. Like, I don't really think about it that way. But I think I've I've mentioned before, like, when I sit down and write poetry and then sometimes I'll show some of it to Chris and he's just like, oh, wow, like, (laughs) is this how you feel all the time? It's, you know, it's so dark and uh, painful and stuff. And I'm like, I guess, like, I don't think about it, but clearly this is in me somehow, you know, and I just walk around functioning as best I can throughout the weeks. And I feel like that's very much what Elliot is doing. Mm -hmm. And It's because he's not only dealing with the trauma of what happened with Mike, which is serious trauma, but it's also like bringing back, I think, his adolescent trauma of when he killed a boy accidentally. This was his introduction to magic in this horrific event that he must have so much guilt over and shame over and it's just like this very violent thing it wasn't happy magic it wasn't beautiful magic Mm -hmm. it was a manifestation of being intensely bullied you know and so i think this is his second time killing someone 
And this time it was a choice. This time he knew what he was doing. And it was somebody that he loved in some way. And was also disgusted by and betrayed by and hoped that maybe that there was some part of something there that was real, but then it doesn't seem like it. And hope that there was some real Mike. Mm -hmm. And all of those hopes are being dashed at that point. Exactly. And so he is dealing with so much pain. And I love that he knows that he is being self-destructive. Like, he yeah. knows that his coping mechanism is bad, and he has this, like, kind of wishful thinking hope that Chatwin's torrent is real and that it could heal him because yeah. he was like, I probably have liver damage. And on that note, we're out of wine. Like, he knows how destructive he's being, but he just feels powerless to be able to cope in any other way, to, like, get by. So if this is the alternative for him to killing himself or not being able to get out of bed at all, dropping out of school, you know, whatever the situation is, like, this is him trying to do his best, even though he knows that it's bad. And then Margot having to witness that, this person that she loves so deeply, just falling and spiraling into this pit of self-destruction that worries her that Mm -hmm. he'll die from when she's talking with quentin she's saying that we all know magic is real but you actually believe in it i've never loved something like that but she has (laughs) because she looks over at elliot and in the probability spell margot is distraught over Elliot's dead body. Mm -hmm. She's literally dying herself, but she doesn't care. She is distraught over the loss of Elliot. She has that intense love that maybe Quentin has for magic, has for Fillory, but she's seeing the thing that she loves so much destroying itself, you know? Just how painful that must be. And she cries and just curls into Quentin, which I think is a very un-Margot type of thing to do, to yeah. be that vulnerable. And I think definitely some of that is the after effects of this emotion bottling spell. But yeah, it's a really important episode for their friendship and their relationship because they're both in so much pain and they don't know what to do about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for Margot, the first thing that she says when she gets her emotions back is why aren't we friends anymore? Mm -hmm. You know, it shows not only how worried she is about him, but also about them, about their relationship and how she feels like she's lost him. And she doesn't know why. Mm -hmm. And his reply of we're best friends is also so sad (laughs) for both of them. Because for him, she is still the closest person to him. And this is how little connection he feels with them. He doesn't let anyone in. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's so, so, so sad. We revel in the misery of these characters because it's done so well. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) It's the good pain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But we should probably close out the episode. (laughs) Most likely, yes. (laughs) And revisit the title. 
So what do you think of remedial battle magic? I hate it. Really? I cannot stand it. I kind of like it. For one, I don't think it makes sense because this isn't remedial. Yeah, I guess that's true. It breaks the world because remedial would make it seem like they should be at a specific level and they aren't there yet. And Mm -hmm. the level they're supposed to be at is zero because battle magic's not allowed, Mm -hmm. you know? So just for me, it doesn't make sense in in the world of break bills. Well, it doesn't make sense in break bills, but outside of break bills. And for two, (laughs) I just think that the term remedial for education is Mm, awful. That's true. Because it makes it sound like there's a remedy for a problem of you not being at a higher level and... Mm -hmm. So often we see that students are not a higher, at a higher level because of the lack of support and resources that they have in their lives. Mm-hmm. And then to be told that you are in a remedial class is like oh, yeah. so dispiriting, so frustrating. It highlights this kind of perspective of students that it's their fault that they're struggling. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can absolutely be the case. But, but most systemically, of the time, yeah. there's so much more going on. So, yeah, just the term remedial has always turned me off. And I think as I've spent more time thinking about education, as I've become an educator, it's uh, I've just grown more impassioned about that. There's something about Penny that just makes me want to be very inappropriate. Because when you're like, just the word remedial turns me off. I'm like, but what about if Penny said it to you? <laughs> <laughs> Would it suddenly be an intriguing title? <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. Well, okay. So agreed with everything you said. But I think for me, I kind of like that it seems like this is how Quentin would be thinking about it. Mm. That this would be his perspective and how he's kind of being down on himself for not being able to do these spells without the help of this other spell. And so to me, it's kind of like a really bringing focus to the kind of heart of the episode, which is this emotion bottling spell and the fact that they're having to use this and they don't, want to and it's doing damaging things to them but this is the only way that they can try to get by and learn these things because of all of the terrible stuff they've had to go through throughout their lives that they're not able to just like find the calm and the peace to be able to do it without help yeah and i could see that so okay then i just really dislike it instead of hating it Okay, cool. I just really dislike Quentin. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Hate his POV. No, we may we, we we criticize Quentin a lot because he should be criticized, but we also like Quentin. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I sympathize with him probably more than any other character on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also just fun to make fun of him. <laughs> Very true. Yes. Well, I think that'll wrap up this week's discussion. So what's happening next time on The Magicians? So we are going to be on the second to last episode of the first season, which is episode 1239, Graves, where there is a big reveal. So what's happening next time on The Magicians? Wait, didn't you already say that? Oh, maybe. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines, the number one Penderland (laughs) ship podcast. Oh, no. (laughs) you can follow us on social media you can join us on patreon to become a supporter of the show and you can leave us a rating and review all of which really help the show and help us get more connected to you 
Absolutely. If you have friends who like the magicians and you chat with them about it, tell them about our podcast. Yeah. Discuss our points. Agree or disagree, but mostly agree. Yeah. And then send us a message about how you agree. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at Lacelet for designing our logo. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek geek out. out!